Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to A Piece of Cake with me, Abdul Haq Baker. And we have two special guests today, Brother Abbas and Jordan. And we are going to be discussing a number of issues. Um, Abdurrahim Green should be joining us very shortly. But um, without further ado, I'm quite excited about this, or very excited, should I say, about this particular um, edition. Um, and, and the reason being is because you're seeing a coming together of brothers. This is the first time that we've actually seen and met each other face to face, if you like, virtually, um, if you like. And um, without further ado, I'll start with asking Brother Abbas to introduce himself and then followed by yourself, Jordan. Sure. Well, first of all, what I'd like to say is wa alaikum wa salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu to both uh, you and, mashallah, all the, all the guests that are, are watching us. Um, so uh, we're, Jordan and I are members of EF Dawah, um, and it's a, it's a group that we sort of um, established around eight, nine years ago, maybe just a little bit longer. And primarily, uh, we used to visit churches and we used to have a meal there. Um, and uh, we used to discuss things about interfaith with our Christian friends. Uh, and then so it sort of morphosized from that to um, doing videos at Speaker's Corner where we would debate and discuss things with people. And alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, the, the channel has grown. We, we have now over uh, considerably more than 400,000, mashallah, subscribers on on YouTube and um, on our on our different uh, language channels, so we do Arabic, Alhamdulillah, translations and Indonesian, uh, and we're doing some Spanish and and, and other languages as well. Uh, but we, we took it, and then we met Jordan Mashallah about two and a half, three years ago, and he'd been watching Brother Hamza, who's one of our main uh, Mashallah speakers on on EF Dawah, um, and I, I'll, I'll let Jordan explain his story, but. Uh, cut a long story short, mashallah, he came down to Speaker's Corner to see us. And alhamdulillah, Allah blessed him with uh, with Iman, with Islam. Uh, and he became, uh, uh, mashallah, an active, uh, invaluable, mashallah, team member within EF Dawah, alhamdulillah. Um, but our, our, our main sort of drive in the last few months uh, is obviously to continue with the Dawah, but to also introduce uh, others who we feel perhaps could get a lot more um, attention views because their material much less so good uh, and in particular we saw uh, and we were recommended by brother um, brother Akram from Southampton and he said guys I love this channel uh, Newcastle FM and much of the shakes the the speakers are mesmerizing I've stopped watching TV I'm just watching this channel all day long and they you guys need to really help these brothers to uh, get a better, uh, mashallah, better exposure out there because I think they're... And so we, we had a look at um, Newcastle FM and we, we we actually thought the same. And of course, we know Brother Abdurrahim Green. Uh, I know Abu Alia, mashallah, for the last 30 plus years. Um, and it seemed like the logical, sensible thing to do, mashallah, to uh, introduce your channel really to, to our subscribers and encourage them to benefit from such a vast, mashallah, array of knowledge and... Um, uh, excellent programming, mashallah, that Newcastle FM are doing. So with that, I will uh, let Jordan come in, inshallah, and introduce himself. And then we'll, we'll see how the, how the, inshallah, the stream goes, inshallah. Yeah, Jazakallah Khan. I echo what Abbas said. It's an absolute privilege to be on on a stream with, um, you know, you guys sort of giants in the Dower game. 
So me being sort of a newbie to Dower, I, I often wonder, should I be doing Dower? Uh, I've obviously built up a little channel and, and I'm a part of the, you know, the EF Dower team. Uh, so I've been Muslim for, uh, quite, I always lose the time, but I think it must be over three years now. I think, I think I've, I've got to the point now where I can't use it to that I'm a new Muslim. I think I've finally entered that kind of uh, the grounds past that. But so I I came into Islam through um, my my family member. My my sister converted many years ago, and she had a niece. Uh, and I was very I was actually anti Islam. I had anti Islam sentiments within me. Um, I was worried for my niece. I didn't want her to grow up to 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 meet a man that was going to hit her. And I had all these feelings uh, within me. Uh, but what it did it, tr it triggered me to look into Islam. Uh, and so I looked into it very, you know, a lot. And it, it didn't take me long to realize that Islam was a protection for a little girl. Uh, and so uh, along the journey, I, I, I contacted Hamza from here, if they were like, like Abba said, because I'd seen him on Speaker's Corner. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I was, I mean, I was blessed and lucky enough to meet Abbas, Hamza, Imran very early on. Um, and yeah, from then on, you know, the journey was, you know, ended up taking my shahada. And like I say, I've I've been involved in Dawa um, as as little as I can, you know, not not particularly knowledgeable at all. Uh, but I kind of I found it very interesting, uh, and and also I also found that um, I, I think when I first came into Dawa, I thought that having be being an Englishman, I, I thought that it may be it may show other people uh, from the country that Islam is possible for them. Because I think even when I was looking into Islam. It only is when I saw a white face preaching Islam did I actually think it was something for me. Uh, so I thought I, I may have that effect. That hasn't necessarily been the case. Uh, I think I've on my channel, it's, it's a lot of born Muslims and mashallah, I've got an amazing community. And, and like we said, they've embraced your streams. Uh, and I think we've you know, been very blessed to have your streams on. And to be honest, I was shocked at how little views sometimes, you know, I go on Bilal Phillips channel sometimes and I see a small amount of views and I go on other channels that are maybe not giving any kind of advice or Islamic kind of teaching that I have hundreds of thousands. So I, I kind of think there's something the wrong way around. Um, so I think it's good to have you guys on. And I think that, you know, the collaborations between the channels as well was something that would be nice to see going forward. Actually, one of the funny things was that uh, when Jordan first came to Speaker's Corner, you, you forgot to tell them that you were just going to do a sneaky little uh, uh, visit without actually uh, speaking with anybody. Yeah, so I, I certainly didn't want to uh, be, you know, come down and especially be on camera or anything like that. I sort of sneakily wanted to just meet Hamza uh, on the side. But before I knew it, you know, I asked about Islam. Before I knew it, there were seven or eight cameras around me. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was thrust into this kind of speaker's corner theme, which you both know is is, is a whole different world. Um, but mashallah, you know, that, that evening, I, I didn't take my jihada that day. But um, I'll never forget the meal we had afterwards. Do you remember Abbas? It was just a lovely meal we had. Uh, it was that kind of brotherhood that uh, that I'd never experienced, uh, and that certainly impacted me uh, on my journey. And uh, excellent, excellent to, to hear that, and 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 from both of you, you know. And as as you can see, as you were speaking, one of the giants entered the room. So Mashallah, I'm going to point yes, out over there, and in, there, in, there is um, Abdurrahim Green. So Abdurrahim, you, yeah, you heard I was really glad brothers. to hear um, Jordan Brother. Um, you know, some of the things we used to do back in the days in Speaker's Corner is still going on. I mean, you know, the, the bit that where when someone takes Shahada, they take him out for dinner. That's what we used to do back in the days. Like, mm -hmm. we would, you know, when someone became Muslim, we would drop the dowel, we would stop. Um, yeah. Or at least we'd have a group of guys who would be looking after whoever took Shahada.
then we'd all go out for dinner together. Then we'd usually go to the London Central Mosque just to show him, you know, whoever, you know, wherever the late, the, you know, the nearest masjid was. Um, and, you know, like the attention was then focused on the new Muslim. And I'm glad to hear that that's still happening. It's one of the things that we really struggled with in our era uh, when we started the sort of mass dawah movement. Um, there were lots of shahadas, and unfortunately, lots of shahadas, but lots of people like not contactable three days later. They didn't want to pick up the phone, right? And it, w what we realized was happening is that people were sort of like getting shahada on the, on the dawah tables or wherever it was in the streets and whatever, taking a contact number. And, and by, well, that was too late. 24 hours later, they're, they're, you've already lost them, right? Mm. That, initial, that initial moment. Uh, when the person takes shahada is so key and that thing you said when you've never experienced that type of brother brotherhood just for people to be able to experience that you know the muslims chilling together like that's just like itself is like like it, it's it's an amazing experience that until today um when i travel around the world and i go to different places and i step off the airplane and i'm with a bunch of guys who i've never seen before but it's literally like they're closer to me, almost closer to me, maybe even closer to me than my own brother. You know, and we just connect straight away. It's beautiful, man. And then, then that, that's really great that you got to see that and experience that. And, and you know, for whoever's think, out there involved the, in Dao, don't forget these very important things. You know, it's not Abraham, about... What you're, what you're saying, what you're saying, I think, is, is key in the sense that uh, uh, one thread that I think that is there with all of us, Abbas, you, you kicked off with that, is, is that sincerity and that concern for delivering the message and making sure that when that message is delivered, um, Jordan, you were saying that um, seeing someone like you, um, mm. you've, you've thought that, and, and that's important. We know that the, all of the MBR, with the exception of Prophet Muhammad وسلم, called their people to Islam. Okay, the Prophet is the only uh, messenger and prophet that called the whole of mankind and jinn. So that resonance that the message has with people and that they can identify with is important. But also, as Abrahim's highlight, the follow-up. So I remember when we used to give dawah in um, Leicester Square and we saw and I, for me, that was the heart of the Dao, as Abdurrahim and I have spoken about before. I preferred that. That was uninitiated. You were going there, people were going raving and everything, and you were catching them in the midst of, midst of their desires. And it, the way that it would capture some of them, they would be there with you really, really late, early hours of the morning. And then you, we offered them lifts home. No matter where it was that they lived, we said, how are you getting home? They said, night bus, we got a car. And we would drive them to wherever it was they were, talking to them, yeah. relaxing. It. We'd go and get a meal or a burger or whatever. Sometimes they, we would see the time. We said, "Look, do you mind?" We've and it wasn't planned. We said, "Look, uh, morning prayers coming in. We've got we've got to pray. We're going to find the mosque. So do you do you want to come with us or do you want us to drop you first? And all of the time they said, "Can we come?" So we would go and pray, whether there was a jamaat or there wasn't a jamaat, and they'd sit at the back and watch us and you can see they were looking at the, the the vibe that was in the mosque whether it be a converted house a purpose-built mosque or whatever and it had an impact upon them and that was beautiful mm. and then alhamdulillah when i became chairman of brixton mosque we kept the mosque open 24 7. so not only would they come um after they've taken shahada 
they could chill out, sleep, have a cup of tea, have a meal and everything like that. And that is the essence, I think, of the dawah. It's the continuity. So many focus on the shahada. And like, Allah, how many shahadas have you got? I've done 10, I've done 50. But the importance is the aftermath, as Abdurrahim has said, that follow-up. And I think hopefully in us speaking today about our experiences and things like that, we can rekindle that and work out how we can continue after someone has become a Muslim on how to keep them in that fellowship, that brotherhood, caring for them in the good days and the bad days, inshallah. What do you think, Abbas? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the, the very surprising thing for me was that Jordan just came down that day just to um, listen to Hamza. He actually wasn't, I think, even going to engage with him. Mm. Uh, ended up ended up having a discussion. I think you met uh, brother. Um, you met you met another brother first, didn't you, Jordan? John, John Fontaine happened to be John there. Fontaine, and then you you had a chat with Hamza. Then you had a chat with me, and, and here we are all giving dawah to Jordan. But Jordan hadn't converted. He didn't take the shahada. But we said, you know, you must come with us for a meal. And we took him out for a meal. And I remember, mashallah, months later, Jordan, when he took his shahada, alhamdulillah, he said, you know what? More than all the dawah that you guys gave me, all that sort of persuasion and logic and reasoning, that meal left more of an impression on me than mm. all the words that you had spoken. Mm. And this is something that we Muslims need to really internalize that words are cheap. We can talk uh, till the cows come home. But if our actions that people see and, and, and what they sort of engage with, with us uh, and see, if those actions are not beautiful, like the character of the Prophet wasallam, then the words don't mean anything, you know. And, and that day when Jordan said that to me, actually, it made a very poignant reminder to me, which is that when Allah says in the Quran, you know, remind them with beauty, with beautiful words, uh, with the best of manners, uh, mm. just how important actually that is. And, and sometimes it, I would say perhaps, no, it, in fact, it is more important than perhaps even the words that you use, you know. Absolutely. And we see that when we're speaking about sitting with scholars, what we hear so many times is that it was the manners of the scholars that had the impact. So what you're saying with regards to the dawah, we've got so many narrations uh, of those who met the Prophet We know that the famous narrations concerning Umar, um, the, the, the authentic narrations that are there, that when he met the Prophet those who came as enemies to the Prophet So that's the epitome of the dawah and the character that's actually um, there. So what you're saying, and, and Jordan, yes, I, I think that's a profound effect. It was actually the mean, it was actually the 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 the, the fraternizing and the brotherhood. My, my research that I did in my PhD, when one of the key things when I looked at why they became Muslims, not only the Tawheed, which was very, very important, obviously, but it was like one of them that they would just say the brotherhood, mm. the brotherhood. And Jordan, what, what would you say to that? Um, um, for, for three years in, and you're a, a veteran, but you're still a relative newbie as well, I dare say. I, I, I can say Definitely a noob. What Definitely would you say concerning that? Definitely a noob, I'd say. And look, my, my decision into Islam, I do believe, well, I would say it was an intellectual decision because I, I really did look deeply into it. And, and secondly, obviously, we believe Allah chose, you know, uh, chooses you. But... Um, 
the the effect that the the meal had on me you know i, I wasn't somebody that was unpopular needed friends you know because a lot of people think that people would join islam for the brotherhood that wasn't that wasn't it it was it was just i guess they were displaying islam to me at that table i, I remember their you know my group of friends it's always about how much each other earns trying to get one on it on each other i remember it was just a real face value lovely kind of sit down um sharing food and and i just it, it did have a profound effect on me and, and like abbas said it's also sort of triggered to me that uh, and make me realize that my behavior um is is extremely important if if people you know if i if i'm a muslim uh, i am an ambassador and so i do try and, and to be honest i make do other other reverts get the same kind of uh, attention and aftercare that i got because to be honest i've seen people with the same aftercare leave um, so even with the aftercare I got, it's still challenging. And I think they say Allah challenges you, you know, after your jihada. You know, it's not going to yeah. suddenly your life suddenly yeah. gets amazing. You have to warn people that challenges are going to hit. And you're not, your foundations are still very fragile. So you could be tipped over. And, and to be honest, I had those moments where I was, you know, you know, I had family issues, issues with my partner because I had a fiance. And all these things can push you over the edge. And I had the setup. And, I, and I've seen other people with that setup still really struggle uh, so you imagine people out there isolated or people out there that, you know, they, they take the shahada and then they're just left um, without much, you know, maybe on Eid, Eid they're on their own and, and all these things. So I often make du'a that people have the same aftercare that I received. And again, even with that, it's still a challenge. That's important, um, uh, uh, what you said, Jordan, about the tests that will come, because that, that's in line with the verse in, in the Quran, the verses in the Quran, Surah Al-Ankabut where Allah says, Alif Lam Meem, do men think that upon saying they believe, they will not be tested? We tested those of, to see who were truthful and those who were untruthful. So it's a very important thing that many come into Islam and think, that's it, they're going to have this really fluffy uh, feeling all the way through. And that, that, that doesn't happen um, in every circumstance. And so, Abdurrahim, what, what would you say concerning that and those who you've met who've taken Shahada and, and your own experience when, when you took Shahada? Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I have to second what Jordan said. Unfortunately, I was one of those people who, uh, who just lost it, man. I mean, I, I, so my experience was like, I took Shahada, it was a bit weird, but I mean, I sort of, I guess I took Shahada in Finsbury, not Finsbury Park, but the Muslim Welfare House, which was right next to Finsbury Park Tube Station. It was the original mosque there before Finsbury, you know, Finsbury Park, the big mosque. Um, and um, yeah, and the people were really nice. They were fantastic. Everyone wanted to teach me the whole of Islam in like five minutes, you know. It was Juma as well, you know, but I came away from that really buzzing. It was just amazing. I used to smoke a lot of weed. And I said to myself after that, this is like way better than any weed I'd ever smoked. Honestly, I literally felt high. I was like on the cloud thinking, this is flipping amazing. Um, but, you know, like it didn't, it, unfortunately. And I used to keep going back to that masjid, actually, even though it was the only place I knew, but it was quite far, so it was quite hard. Um, but my girlfriend at the time was studying in Bristol, so that was in London, and I used to go, like, so that it didn't last long, so I was there doing that for two weeks, then I went to see my girlfriend in Bristol, I went into the flat where she was staying, I prayed to Rakat, and she was sitting on the bed, and she said, what were you doing? What, what was that? I said, oh, I became Muslim, and she, she freaked out. Mm. She totally freaked out, like, you know, you what, and this and that, it was like screaming and whatever. 
and that was it. I stopped. I stopped um, practicing oh. the snare. Uh, because like I, I was really crazy about her. I have to admit, I was very, very, mm. uh, you know, very attached to her. It was just Brian Green. Really, I, hope, I hope the wife's not yeah, watching. So basically, yeah, that, the, mm -hmm. what followed that was like two years of sort of living hell. Because I, I sort of, I, I, I always say this is the worst state a person can ever be in, is when you know the truth and you don't live the yeah. truth that you know. And that was a really, really hard time. Alhamdulillah, guided me back. You know. And uh, in a way, I don't regret those two years. It was a big lesson for me. I learned a big lesson. Um, but yeah, so I was one of those people who fell by the wayside pretty quickly. You know, my first real test, I didn't. Yeah, no. So I'm very, very, I'm very, very empathetic to people who have a tough time. I totally, totally get what it's about. So um, did you have did you have the aftercare? Did you have mm, after your shahada? You had the sort to of to be aftercare. fair, the brothers. It wasn't like it was probably the, It was my side, really. It was not that the brothers weren't there for me, right? I'm sure there mm. were a, any one of those brothers who gave me their numbers. I do feel they were like they would have helped me if if I had picked up the phone and asked them, right? I think the difference is there was no one chasing after me. You know, there was no one. Uh, you know, like, remember, this is the day before mobile phones. Even if there were mobile phones, they were like, you know, they were, you know, they took up half the back of your car, <laughs> no right? No yeah. one had a mobile phone in those days, so um, it wasn't quite so easy to keep in touch with people like it is today. But still, um, I think there was nothing very proactive, it was all up to me, uh, to get help from the brothers. Um, and they're definitely like, you have to understand, like. The only, the only, you know, non-immigrant Muslims. There were very few. There was Yusuf Islam mm. and a bunch of the, um, you know, the uh, not the Mahajirun, the um, oh, the uh, Murabitun, the Murabitun. Um, you know, so they were sort of middle class, mostly middle class white guys, and they were sort of in the Sufi. Um, I, I wouldn't call it maybe a bit of a cult type thing. But um, yeah, there was very few, apart from Yusuf Islam, very few of us. So it was a very, very new thing for especially a white person, but not even a white, even white, black, anything, except unless you were an immigrant, there were very few. I mean, I kept getting confused for Yusuf Islam for years because he was the only person anyone knew who was <laughs> a non-Pakistani non who had converted. He would say, to you, are you Yusuf Islam? <laughs> anything like him, nothing like you know. But, that's how it was back in the days. You know, there was a very small number of us. So there was no support system to, to speak of. The environment was very different, guys. You know, like today, uh, even today, unfortunately, that I would say there's still hostility, right? Mm. I would say there's still hostility. You, there's still places, unfortunately, you could still walk into them and they look at you like, what the hell are you doing here? You know, in those days, it was very much pronounced. Yeah, it was like, um yeah it, it was very different so yeah the even the I idea think, of new yeah. muslim aftercare didn't exist um about we stuff. we kept we had a um a network um mm. i came to the dean um and shortly before and shortly after what we would term a gang came to islam embraced as well and yeah. we found a focal point to come so that when it came to aftercare because no one spoke to us about Islam. I'll be frank, no yeah. one came and gave us dawah. 
And this is an issue that I, I want to speak to. And, and, and some are shocked mm -hmm. and said, what do you mean? So, like, no one came and spoke to me about Islam. My group of friends, um, there's a, a posse, a gang of us, if you like. Um, we did everything together. And I remember, like, I was working, Jordan, you spoke about um, your peers speaking about what you were earning and everything like that. And I was, I was working in the legal profession, um, earning a lot of money, bought my second home, my fiance, um, soon wife to be, w w was expecting my child and everything. Life was good. That was my daytime life. The nighttime life was more gang related and, and all the stuff that you do outside hours and everything. But we had a network we, uh, of friends, uh, many of whom I'd grown up with. And so we used to discuss things. Now, we had lost a few friends along the way. Um, there were issues that were there, prison, uh, some, a few dying. And we started asking, is there more to life than, than this, basically? And that's what started us on that journey. Um, I'd been a, gone to Roman Catholic school, um, didn't believe in the Trinity and everything, had issues. And left, when I left school, left, gave up Catholicism as much as I could. But there was still that gnawing side. So with no one to speak to us, we were just searching. And as you said, Jordan, all our guides. OK, I really do believe that because I started seeing in our circles that we were just not being satisfied um, completely. We had physical satisfaction. We had mental satisfaction but there was a spiritual rot there's just a spirit definite spiritual rot and it wasn't until the only pakistani friend we had amongst us i didn't even know he was pakistani i just knew he was asian and so when we were talking about he mentioned islam it's like islam what's islam's a pakistani arab religion because no it's not but he didn't push it any further but it's when we started talking about god when we started talking about the, the hereafter and things like this, that he started chiming in again and saying, this is what the Muslims believe. It's like, okay, this is what the Muslims believe. But it wasn't until my own friend, Aslam is his Muslim name, uh, T, Big T, I used to be called Little T's, Big T's, six foot four and everything and whatever. So one day we're sitting in my home, I'm chilling, Saturday night in March, 1990 it was. And he just said to me, I'm thinking of going to the mosque tomorrow to become a Muslim. I was like, good on you some of the younger lot did it the week before it's um they're doing it because of hip-hop music and we're making music i said for me let's create our own religion i'm not going back into religion so he asked me a simple thing he said you know we've always believed in the day of judgment i said yep yeah, we believe in god believe in the prophets and he asked me this one question he said what will you say to god if you die tonight and then you have meet him on the day of judgment and I could not move from my seat all night. This was from about 10 o'clock at night. He left about 11, 11.30. I was really angry with him because of that question. Um, and I remember sitting all night, not sleeping, thinking, what will I say? What will I say to God? I've tried Christianity. Like Abdul Rahim, I was raised a Roman Catholic, went to Roman Catholic school, dropped that, emerged myself into street culture, doing everything and anything in that instance knowing that death was around the corner because of the type of lifestyle that we were leading. So in the morning, I just thought, okay, I heard there's a mosque five miles down the road. There were nearer ones, but I didn't know them, um, that would welcome me. And I jumped on the bus with that in mind. If I die, what will I say to um, God, Allah on the day of judgment? And then also I was facing a huge court case um, 
which the recent George Floyd um, incident killing triggered it because it's very similar to what happened and my friends actually saved my life from the police who had the boot on my head were trying to break my neck and so all of that was there and I said to myself I don't want to go to jail a non-Muslim that, that's one thing and if I die I've got no excuse before God so it was no network or no dawah that came to us it was us and clearly Jordan I'll speak to your point it must have only been Allah guiding us in that instance. Mm. Because if you, if we didn't know about that. We knew that we weren't going to be Nation of Islam or Ansar Allah because we saw that as just a black cultish thing. But all I knew is I need to worship Allah properly. And I'm going to end this part and hand it back over to you. And it's funny because when I went to the mosque for the first time and we went in and we met a whole, I saw some hardened people. And I was like, yeah, these are bangers, real bangers. They're elders. These are people that we would steer away from or be with when we needed them. And they asked about the pillars of faith. They asked about the articles of the man. I said, I, I know, know these. I said, I don't really know Prophet Muhammad, Wasallam, but I've been told he's like all of the other prophets, which was one thing that resonated with me, and that he's the final prophet. And then they told me that I'm going to say a word that's going to be weighty in this life and the hereafter. And they asked me, the only word I knew in Arabic was Allah or Akbar, because that's what we tried to start saying when we'd go out each day and everything. But when they did the Shahada, I saw those grown, hardened men crying. Now, you have to understand something from my culture, black culture. We men don't cry in public in front of each other, not in front, even in front of our women. We don't cry. So when you've seen hardened men crying, and I'm thinking, why are they crying? I didn't know if there was a further initiation ceremony. I might have to run around in my underwear and hang out of the window. I did not know what was happening with the Shahada. So that was like, wow, these men are really crying. And then they came to hug, and we don't do that. So they came and hugged me, and it was a really warm hug. And I know Muslims do that now. Okay, COVID's in check now, so we've got to be careful of that. But it, um, but we, we it was the hug. And I was thinking, this is different, okay? And it's when... That that moment for me was like, okay, you have now embraced not only physically but metaphorically, spiritually speaking, something huge, something bigger than anything you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And the the and I learned very quickly that that brotherhood was these people would die feasibly for Allah for, for Allah for you. That was the extent of what I've embraced, alhamdulillah. 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 And isn't it amazing because um, Allah actually says this in the Quran and I, and I can't quote the exact ayah, but referring to the different tribes in Arabia that, you know, Allah you know, created love uh, between, your, between your hearts when in fact all you had was enmity. Yes. You were enemies to each other. And uh, subhanAllah, it is an amazing thing because when somebody, mashallah, gives the shahada, you do, even as a born Muslim, uh, you know, you immediately feel like, subhanAllah, you know, he, he's my brother. He's become my brother, literally like my blood brother. It's almost like, subhanAllah, there's a, there's a switch that Allah just flicks in your heart uh, and that you would do anything for that brother. And, and, and just moments before, you may have been strangers. Right. And, and subhanAllah, how Allah describes this in the Qur'an, uh, that the, the hearts of the believers, you know, Allah, Allah, Allah creates this love, this affection. 
uh, between us. And I suppose this is, I, I would hope, inshallah, one of the signs of Iman, that we have Iman, that we have belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm. that we feel these things. Now, one of the things I'd like to do, if, if you don't mind, uh, Dr. Baker and Abdurrahim Green, is obviously, I'm sure most of our subscribers already know uh, know you both, but on, 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 the, on the off chance that they don't, one of the things I'd like to ask you is really, um, and perhaps Jordan may want to answer as well, which is that from your experiences of, of coming into the deen and perhaps that lack of support, how can the Muslim community today, what should we be doing, in fact, to, to rectify these issues? Because I think they're quite profound when, when that safety net, that support is no longer there. Uh, you know, you've done the shahada, everyone pats you on the back, they uh, shed a few tears, they give you a big hug, and then you often don't hear about, hear, hear about those people ever again. So, so what, what can we do as a community, as a people, to, to sort of rectify these issues? Because these are very important issues, I think. Abdurrahim, do you want to ask to answer that? And then yeah, um, yeah, Jordan? Yeah, sure, bro. I mean, like, there's so much we could do. But I think that... Um, I, 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 yeah, bro, you're going you're gonna to set me off on one. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to set me off. Yeah. I, think, I think the problem is systemic. Right. Just like you often hear that, for example, the Metropolitan Police is institutionally racist. Yeah. British society is institutionally racist. I was just listening to a very interesting um, Facebook uh, live from some of the brothers and a sister from France. Um, absolutely shocking, really, what's going on there. The levels of I mean, just deep, deep, profound institutional racism. They're racist on a very deep level. I think the problem with the Muslim community is not institutional racism, right? It's a different systemic problem. And the systemic problem is that people are profoundly attached to their cultural interpretations of Islam, right? And it's a culture that most English people find very hard to get their head around, yeah? Um, and, you know, we were thinking that maybe it might change after a generation, but funnily enough, the weird thing is some of the, some of the next generation are even worse. And I think that, 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 that is like, you know, one of the really unique things about Brixton Mosque, for example, one of the unique things about Brixton, yeah, um, is that it didn't have that, right? I mean, obviously it had its own culture, but it was l literally a revert, a mostly black revert, um, but it didn't matter. It was, it was like, I, you never felt that. I never felt that in Brixton. Um, you know, Marshall and the brothers there welcomed me, and I was a big part of the community for years. Um, and, and it was a real different vibe there, right? Brixton Mosque had a really different vibe because it was a revert community. Um, and I think it's just things like, you know, having khutbas, you know, bayans, and still, still until today, having bayans in Urdu. Like, can you mm -hmm. believe it? Like, in, in this, you know, like what, we're third generation and still having bayans in Urdu? Are you serious? Like, mm -hmm. really? Um, and, and, you know, it's a, it's a lot of stuff like that. Still the idea that people have to wear like a topi and shawal kameez. And like I said, you know, I'm going to feel comfortable when I can go into a masjid with a, you know, a pair of long shorts, right? You know, like obviously covering my aura, but they're shorts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mm -hmm. someone's going to look, not look at me like that's weird because it's not weird for yeah. me, right? Like it's still covering my aura, 
right? You know, shorts and a t-shirt. But I, I think this is part of the problem is that, you know, you can give classes for new Muslims. Yeah, you can have, you know, some sort of whatever for them. But the bottom line is, is that there is a whole cultural difference that is going to make, and I'll be specific, like white people especially, right, just really not feel that comfortable, right? Mm. And it's not until you become a little bit Asian-fied and you become a little bit Pakistani. Like, my, you know, they joke with me that I'm more Pakistani than Pakistanis. Because <laughs> you know, I've managed to, I've managed to adapt, you know, but I mean, for a lot of people, that is a huge challenge, right? I, I mean, I know this from first-hand accounts of brothers who really, really, really struggle, right? Really struggle, right? Mm. Um, and just don't get it. Don't get how they are not yeah. accepted. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, what's the, the solution? It, it's maybe too much of an ask, to be honest. Mm. Mm. Um and mm. I don't want to sort of say, oh, white Muslims need to create their own separate institutions. I don't like that either, right? Mm. Um, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, but I have to I, say, mashallah, a lot of masjids have got a lot better. At least they actually have specific classes for new Muslims. A lot of masjids are doing that. They're having open days. You know, they're a lot more tolerant. They're a lot more positive towards reverts. Um, yeah, there's a lot more acceptance. I mean, one of the testing grounds always was marriage, for example. So it's quite interesting to hear now of, you know, Pakistani families looking for reverts. And I'm not just talking about looking for, you know, white gore girls to marry their sons, but I'm also looking for white guys to... Sorry, Abdul Haq, mm -hmm. the black guys haven't, you know... <laughs> that's the still way to go, right? Before the black reverts are accepted on the same level. But yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I'm, that's just jokes aside. There are people genuinely looking for reverts because they feel that they don't come with a lot of the cultural baggage that even a lot of these people themselves find really hard to do with. They're getting fed up of it. They're getting fed up of all the family politics and all the yeah. drama and all the, you know, all the bakwasas. They have a lovely word for it. The bakwasas. <laughs> So, you know, but this is, you know, this is, you know what, to be honest, I think this is all part of the maturing of Islam in Britain. Yeah, it's part of the way that Islam is going to. And I think in the next, you know, if if we don't all end up in concentration camps here, you know, if Islam survives in Europe, it's it's going to develop its own very distinct flavor, its own culture. Um, inshallah, we'll, we can only see where it goes, but it's got a lot better, I have to say. Alhamdulillah, I'd be interested to hear what Jordan, for example, what, what's his experience? Yeah, Jordan, you know, if you let I'm us not, know, I'm not a yeah. new Muslim anymore, I've been around, I'm an old yeah, adult. yeah. And I, so, I, th I think, I mean, to be honest, when when Abbas asked the question, I was sort of thinking along the lines of you because I, I think I've seen some very bad advice, you know, we're talking about lack of advice of aftercare. But I've also seen yeah. some, and, and, and may Allah reward people, their intentions are good, but sometimes there's a real lack of hikmah when dealing with a revert. You know, I've seen, for example, yeah. you know, you have to change your name, you have to wear the kameez or the yeah. thobe, you have to, and, and people are told this. Um, and many things, many cultural things are told. I remember going to a masjid once and being told off for my feet pointing at something. And I was thinking, well, well where's that in? You know, yeah. where's that in? And so, uh, and so, it can be it can be confusing. And, and I think, um, I mean, for me personally, 
I have had good reception. So when I go into masjid, so I, I can't complain about that. And I'd say more so than Black Revert brother, the brothers that I have, which I think is probably a whole different topic. Um, I, I think there's probably, I feel like there's a suspicion of me sometimes, like I'm a tax man or a policeman or something like that. But but yeah, I, I think yeah, for me, I, one of the I've things that about, I... Bro, sorry, Jordan, to interrupt you. Yeah. Hap something happened to me recently, recently, right? I was in a masjid and I'm an old hand and like even in this masjid, everyone calls me chef. Right in this masjid, everyone there calls me chef. It's not a big masjid, yeah. So mm. I was in this masjid. It was Ramadan, yeah. Everyone knows me there, right? And um, I'd finished my iftar, and I was walking. So it's a small masjid, so you can imagine all the food is laid out, yeah, on the ground on those plastic sheets. So I was trying to get out to make wudu. I wanted to get ready, so I stepped over the mat, right. And this uncle man just flipping laid into me. He wasn't even an uncle. He's probably the same. He's probably not much older than me, right? And he started, you know, well, how dare you walk over the Qana? And this and that. And it was like, what the? I actually think I said to him, don't give me your cultural crap. I probably said, mm. <laughs> I don't know if he said the word crap. But I just said, don't give me your culture. Don't impose your cultural stuff on me, right? I'm, you know, I'm a bit up front. And I just, well done, everyone deadly silence in the bathroom. but yeah. i thought look subhanallah you know we've still got a long long way to go like and i understand maybe in this guy's culture i don't know like walking stepping over food is like some big gunna or something right i don't know i have never to be honest i never encountered it before right yeah but bro you know guys you can't impose your culture on it that's not islam this is not an Islamic thing. This may be your own little cultural, you know, quirk. Don't you dare impose that stuff, right, uh, upon us here in England, right? It, it just doesn't belong here, right? Seriously, keep to the deen, keep to Islam. Alhamdulillah, if I do something haram, tell me. Even then, advise me nicely, privately. Don't humiliate me in front of everybody. But So this stuff is still going on, guys, even this day and age, even, even in a masjid. Where people, you know, call me Sheikh. It's so I don't know, man. It's just crazy, man. It's mm. crazy stuff. Yeah, because I would, I would, you know, you were talking about, you know, maybe creating. I don't know. I've heard people talking about maybe creating British masjids or, or things like that. And, and I think it would be a shame. It would be a shame to do that, wouldn't it? It'd be a shame that we can't. Because yeah, yeah, I think the idea of a masjid is is that you pray next to people of all different colors, and Everybody, it's Islam yeah. united. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I certainly, when I. First, you know, sometimes you just step into a masjid just because you need to pray. Uh, and sometimes it's a bizarre experience of culture and, and they, they, they don't, you know, you don't feel welcome. Um, and so it's definitely work to do from my, from my experience. I yeah, think, hearing, well, yeah, mashallah, some, some good points that you've raised mm -hmm. there. I think when it comes to starting a different mosque or whatever, I, I hear the argument against that. But then there needs to be a concerted effort now within the traditional mosques to really shake up what is happening because it hasn't changed very much and too much. And I want to speak to an issue that I think not many of us talk about enough. And that is for our revert sisters, our convert sisters. Yeah. Um, Abdurrahman, you introduced me to the sister who's um, holding this uh, webinar in a few weeks. And I, I spoke with her at length yesterday. And looking at what's happening with them, because 
they not only undergo a spiritual change, it's a very physical change as well. And many of them are rejected by their families. Now, us as young men or men, um, we can withstand that to a greater degree than them. Okay. And what happens is that they fall prey inadvertently to those who are seeking marriage and wanting to take in um, convert sisters. And those convert mm. sisters will go in that direction because they've got little where else to go. Behind them has been the issue of their families ostracizing them, pushing mm. them away, um, uh, shutting the door to them. Mm. And so there's a loneliness. But then what's actually happened is that they've had to take on, as Abdurrahim has highlighted, cultural baggage from the individuals that they're marrying. And sometimes those individuals are not prepared themselves to actually marry and take on the mosaic, the psychological mosaic of that convert sister um, who's going for a transformation, um, who's having particular challenges. And so what happens, and I'll say inadvertently, because it's not planned when you marry someone, that you then start seeing domestic violence issues, um, psychological abuse taking place and everything. And that's uh, inadvertent coping mechanisms. I say it mechanisms. I say inadvertent because not everyone goes into a marriage thinking I'm going to oppress the other individual and um, psychologically or domestically abuse them. And so we see that with the sisters, and speaking to this sister recently, looking at my sister as a convert, looking at other sisters, the challenges that are there for them are even greater, I would say, than um, there with the brothers. And there's very little wraparound support in that instance. But I want to speak to the issue as a black convert now. And with mashallah, we've got our white brothers, brothers with us. And there's a lot more tokenism around you being Muslims, okay? With us as black brothers who become converts, there's a double whammy effect we have societally mm -hmm. because uh, I'm not going to go into it now, as Jordan said, it's a subject of, of another um, discussion, but we're already marginalised and we're facing systemic racism, and I mean systemic, not racial that the Pakistani community faces, but we're talking generational, centuries old. The, the Western societies have been established upon that systemic and structural racism. Then we enter Islam, and then we face an ethnic racism of an altogether different proportion and I would hasten to add that is worse than the racism that we're receiving and got used to from white society. And that's totally different mm. to what a white convert, a brown convert will face in that particular instance. So coming back to how we deal with that, that's one of the reasons why the elders of Brixton started the Brixton community. They weren't Salafi or they, were, they weren't from, we were the youngers and we came in and I found that refreshing. I was able to develop my identity as a black British Muslim. I did not need to worry about cultural um, delineations and, and co connotations and, and slights and slurs and everything like that. But it didn't mean that I built this pro-black identity. No, as Abdul Rahim said, I saw Abdul Rahim as a regular there. We saw North Africans, we saw Arabs, we saw Asians. We saw Islam. So we looked at everyone the same. It's only when we went into other more traditional cultural mosques that we saw the stark reality of how far we had to go with what Islam really said about brotherhood, sisterhood in, in that particular instance. But I'll end on this point to hand it back to yourselves. The way forward, I think, is these conversations need to be the norm, not an exception. These conversations need to be brought up co close and personal 
in family homes. I was with a, a friend today, mashallah, and he's telling me how um, he's, I didn't even know his sister's married to a Nigerian brother, um, another one's married to an Algerian. And I, I saw, and this is a traditional Pakistani family. And what you'll see is that when those steps are made, not just in marriage, but to introduce, like some of the Pakistani brothers took us into their homes and we'd go Bradford and everything, and we could see the parents sort of working, okay, should I make a cup of tea, how are they? But then when we started coming regularly, it broke the ice. It's like me as a black guy, it's like maybe yourself, Jordan, as a white guy. If we don't know a particular ethnicity, let's say we don't know any Chinese people, and we may have some unconscious um, bias against them, we may have, we don't know, because all we've had are stereotypes in the media. But it's upon meeting, upon engaging, upon fraternising with these individuals that we start learning about them. We need to start doing that with our non-Asian or non-similar friends, with our families, with our friends, with our relatives. We need to start bringing them into our close personal spaces and letting those of our wider family meet and engage with them because just talking about it is not enough. Tokenism in the mosques is not enough. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And mashallah, you've all made really powerful points. Um, I mean, one thing that I would say, you know, being the only person here born Muslim, recognizable Asian or Asian origin, is that for, for me, um, and obviously it suffered racism when I was growing up in the 70s in England, um often what can happen is and i'm not trying to excuse what's happening because i've experienced these things myself firsthand seeing people experiencing these things but one of the things that i found quite surprising is that um about my own self is that when i got a negative response from somebody about something i often jumped to the conclusion that it must be something to do with uh, racism you know this all mm. Islamophobia and then contemplating and thinking about it I thought to myself am I sort of really pigeonholing uh, every negative uh, uh, you know event to mean something perhaps more sinister than perhaps what it is and could it be that this person is just uh, not a very good person generally to right. everybody uh, and I'll give you an example. I mean, I went to a mosque uh, a few months back in King's Cross and um, the, the Salah was just about to stand. The, the whole floor was completely full and there was a couple of spaces just right at the back where the door was so I could just join there. And the brother turned around and said, no, no, you can't read in the doorway. It's haram. And I thought, subhanAllah, I thought I've never heard this, but I didn't want to obviously get into an argument with the brother. So I went and I read upstairs with the with the congregation that was uh, also praying upstairs. Now, as a white guy or a, or, a, or a black guy, I might have thought he's made a judgment on me because I'm black or because I'm white that I, I don't know about the religion. And he sort of said this. But I think what I'm trying to say is that a lot of it just stems from ignorance. And not understanding where the dean is and where the culture is, as Abdurrahim Green said. And, and that the two have somehow joined, you know, and fused together for predominantly what is an Asian community. The bulk of us are Asian who are Muslim in this country. Of course, there are a lot of North Africans and a lot of converts, but predominantly Asian um, of, of origin. 
And I think what's happened is that a lot of things that I learned when I was young, for example, you know, it's only now that I've realized that those things actually were not Islam at all. And it was just completely cultural. And, and I think the, so fundamentally, I think it comes from ignorance. And I think you're quite right, uh, Dr. Baker, that these things need to be spoken about a lot more and people need to be educated how, for example, what the etiquette when the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when he goes to Medina, he even was wearing clothes that were similar to the Yahud, the Jewish people there, because he wanted them to feel that he wasn't uh, completely separate from them. He was one of them as a community. And we've not unfortunately picked up on these lessons. Um, I mean, I was very lucky, very fortunate, because uh, one of my uncles, though he was a very traditional, mashallah, le uh, a speaker and, and uh, uh, academic, mashallah, on, in Islam, um, I remember asking him what's the best clothes I should wear at Jummah. And he said to me, you live in England, and the best clothes for you would be the best clothes of your community. So it's not shalwar kameez because that's what my father or my mother may have you know, worn in, in India or Pakistan or whatever. But you're English, you're born here. And your culture here is that you should wear English clothes, but wear respectable clothes, according to the Sharia, loose, not tight, and of course, covering your aura. And some of these things that we, you know, these are fundamental lessons that we really need to, I think, learn. And I, I totally agree with you. I think it's all part of education. And it, it does surprise me, it actually really does hurt me as a, as a born Muslim when I hear of a sister coming into Islam or a brother coming into Islam and that they suffer this ignorance, really, uh, from people where actually at times, you know, they, they get turned away from it, mm. not because of the Islam, but because of the, this cultural baggage that's constantly, you know, put onto their shoulders. Right. And I think may Allah help the, the, the Muslim community to really adhere to the teachings of Rasulullah which is the best example for us, where color did not matter, uh, the language you spoke did not matter, the clothes you wore, as long as they were in accordance to the Sharia, they were modest, it didn't matter. But uh, now there, there is this sort of expectation from uh, Pakistani and Asian Muslims, for example, that the second you take the shahada, you have to have a beard down to your chest, you have to have a tasbih in your hand, and you have to wear a long thobe, and you've practically got to live like that and adopt a completely new culture. Mm. And that's not Islam. Islam is you can be Italian, you can be English, um, you, you make slight alterations from your cultural norms to, to make sure that you're not doing anything which is not within the folds of Islam, like you're maybe drinking socially or whatever it might be. But the bulk of being an Englishman, the bulk of being an Afro-Caribbean, the bulk of being, um, uh, you know, a, a Chinese person or an Italian person is well within the Sharia. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Uh, and absolutely. some of us really, you know. No, ab absolutely. And I think that, like Jordan, for example, being an Englishman, um, a, a white Englishman, I'd say, because Englishman, Abbas is an Englishman, I'm an Englishman, but we mean a white Englishman. Yeah. I think that... Um, the expectations on you as a, a, a white Brit. How did you feel amongst white Britons who saw you? Did they did, did they feel that you betrayed the faith or betrayed the culture as such because you'd embraced 
an Orientalist or Oriental religion? How, how, what was your interaction with fellow white Britons? Yeah, good point. I, I think that, um, so I think the, the kind of far right, the, the sort of racist crowd that you'd know, that, so they, they would look at me and, um, and Green and, and think, think we're the worst, you know, kind of traitors, traitors out there because they believe obviously that, you know, being born in England means you have to be a certain way. I think amongst just gen general people, I think that the, the feeling that I've got is that it's just a bit weird. Um, they don't really understand it. Um, I wouldn't say I've personally experienced much Islamophobia. Um, and, I, and I do think it's probably the colour of my skin uh, is probably uh, one of the reasons for that. I, I'm, I'm Many of the, um, even the day-to-day -day kind of Islamophobic comments you hear, I'm convinced is towards the brown man with a beard, if not perhaps the black man with a beard. So, I, so I certainly, I, I certainly feel. Um, I guess I'm not totally free from it, but but I guess I, there is, you know, the, uh, to some extent, I am. Um, um, and, I, and I think I think you know your stories are interesting, and and I think particularly from from a black revert perspective, because I've, to be honest, in my in my older days, I didn't really have black friends or, or really many Asian friends at, at all. Um, and now my closest friends are, are Asian and, and, and black. And so, and listening to their stories, particularly a black Muslim, and I refer to Issa Frimpong, who people know who passed away recently. So when I know his story and he tells me, you know, this is the most beautiful brother you can imagine, pious character, the, the lot, uh, uh, what's some of the, one of the best you'll meet. When you hear that, you know, when he was looking for marriage, he wasn't being accepted into families, into Muslim families and things like that. Um, and you think, wow, what is what is actually going on? Um, it, it is, and it's clear that we still have a lot of work to do uh, within within our our you know families to to sort of um, solve this. But yeah, I, I think for me, and, and it may not be the same for everybody. I don't know. It'd be interesting, Green's point of view. I do feel that to somewhat um, not you know kind of I don't receive the same amount of Islamophobia as others. When I go to the Speaker's Corner, for example. I will notice that even the people that are against Islam will come and speak to me a certain way and they still give me the respect. But when I then see them moving on to speaking to brown brothers, black brothers, completely different demeanor, completely different. I think that that's, that's a reality um, that's there and uh, to, 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 the, to what you're speaking to. Whereas you'll see that when speaking to black uh, converts, there's a particular expectation and I dare say stereotype in that we may come from a gang background, there may be a violent element, there may be uh, um, the, the music that we're into. So they would come to us from a particular perspective. Um, and okay, occasionally, or more often than not, there's, there's some credence um, to that. But then what about an educated black man who's never gone through any of that and uh, re resembles more closely your reality, Jordan, and background, and Abdul Rahim's, and even yours, Abbas. But by, I think, again, there's, there's a, a, an unconscious bias um, that mm. we all have when we're approaching and speaking to individuals. I know, I know white converts, one of them was a case study in my PhD, whose background, if you didn't know his colour and you listened to his story, you would think that he was from a, he was brought up amongst a black community, just like my, one of my best friends, Shuaib. Um, you would think that they were actually black in themselves until you saw them. So I think that it's the perceptions with which we are met and the perceptions that we carry that affect how we interface, in, engage, interact 
with, with others. So we, as much as we're saying that, and Abbas, you said something, yeah, it's not always um, Islamophobia. It's not always um, racism. And we, we've got to be careful that we throw that up immediately, which sadly, to some degree, Muslims are doing a lot now. And there is this culture of being the victim. The victim is afforded a lot of rights. And I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate and genuine victims. There are. But there are also those who jump on the bandwagon and give a knee-jerk response. And so, as you said, it's not if some. If, so if someone said, "Oh, you can't pray in that area; it's haram," and someone says, "Like I've seen people say, oh, you said that because you're racist. It's because I'm black. It's because I'm white.'" And actually, no, it's just that's what I believe, and I'm saying what I believe, and and deal with it. But there's a very, very fine line on understanding what that nuance is. Again, as I said, because of the perspectives that are placed upon us and the perspectives that we have when we're engaging with individuals. And I think that it shows there's a long way to go. But one of the brilliant things about tonight is that four of us have come together. We're bringing different perspectives, but on the same platform. Mm. And those, those platforms are merging and our ultimate objective is one as well. And I think that's really, really important because when we look in the, 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 what we're looking at societally amongst the Muslims and the non-Muslims, all we're seeing are narratives of division, narratives of polarization. And social media is being used to fuel that with individuals becoming more polarized, more partisan, and liking the aggressive, negative, violent narratives against the person that we hold to be an enemy. And you know what? We're all Muslims. And you know what? If they're not Muslims, then we're within the societal context where we need to be engaging and leading, as Jordan mentioned, as ambassadors um, in, in the society that, we're, that we're, we're in. That's really important. And if there's a takeaway from that tonight, is that we, no matter what we're doing, whether we're working daily, we're going about our business quietly, we're interacting and our neighbors are beside us, we are ambassadors until we enter that grave. We are ambassadors as Muslims until we enter the grave. And the question's got to be, I don't want my neighbor to say they never gave me dawah or they were a bad example. So this is why I didn't embrace Islam. I don't want my work colleague or wider society to say, yeah, we were afraid of them because they were those wild eyed, wild -eyed violent um, rhetoric individuals who never showed us anything of what the beauty of Islam actually mm. is. But then we don't want to be on the flip side, to be that totally liberal, open thing where everything goes and the uh, Prophet Muhammad wasallam was just a construct and was just an idea. No, there were values that we are adhering to that we need to share in the best possible way. And Abdurrahim, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it to you to, to wind down yeah. with our two beautiful brothers yeah, on that instance. Just, I think, you know, to sort of bring it to, to full loop when I joined, thanks for that, bro. Uh, just to, to bring it to a full loop when I joined, because I missed the beginning. But, you know, what I joined, Jordan was saying something that is sort of, I want to respond to the question that he asked me, like, what was my experience? And, um, and it's interesting that Jordan was saying that until he saw a white Muslim, he didn't realize that white people could be Muslim, right? Um, and let's remember that Allah always sent a messenger from amongst their own people, yeah? This is the sunnah of Allah. The sunnah of Allah is that a messenger was sent to the people from amongst their own people. 
it, I'm not saying that if you're not a white guy, you can't give dower to white people. I'm not saying if you're not black, you can't give dower to black people and so on and so forth. I'm not saying that, right? But I'm saying that it's just normal, as you said, Abdul Haq, it's actually just normal human behavior to feel more relaxed and comfortable around that which you are familiar with, right? And for most white people, they're more familiar with being around mostly white people. Um, and I think that's just, and, and you can take it in any culture, any context, any environment. If you're used to living in a very, very mixed multicultural, you know, intermixed environment, everyone gets on with each other, it will be totally normal for you, right? But if you're not, like most, to be honest, like most white people until today in England, right? Um, they're just going to feel comfortable speaking mm -hmm. to a white guy. That's all it is, bro. I don't think it's like sometimes, as as um, Abbas was saying, it's not it's not necessarily racism per se, right? It's just that some natural feeling of what people feel comfortable mm -hmm. about, and I think we we should be careful not to confuse those things. Um, yeah, and it's the same with we're same with a lot of white people. Why why don't they feel comfortable going to a Pakistani mosque? Are they racist? It's not about being racist. It's just about it's just about what you're used to and what your culture is and what you're familiar with. That's what it is. Yeah. Mm. People could say to us, Abdurrahim, what are you flipping going on about, mate? You know, what's wrong with you? What well, you got a problem with Pakistani culture, right? Uh, so what if you go into a mosque? Oh, subhanAllah, we lost uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in mid flow, mashallah. Yeah, yeah. what he was. No, mashallah, and as 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 always, Abdurrahim is making some very pertinent points mm. there, and I think um, I think what the medium that we're speaking on now, um, this is so important to get it right. There's yeah. so much out there, okay. Mm. There's so much out there. There's so much that can waste your time, and I mm. think for us as well, who are um, initiating these discussions we've always got to constantly check ourselves as well. Mm. And one of the things I always look at and I urge brothers to look at as well, is mashallah to Allah bless both of you with the, um, the, the following that you've got. Um, and what, what I would say is this, we've always got to check ourselves. One of the things Abdul Rahim and myself, when we used to travel on the road with the Dawah and we'd be traveling around the country and sometimes we'd get somewhere and it hadn't been organized properly so there was hardly any turnouts and i always give the case of when i traveled up to middlesbrough which is very far from london and there's one older um, elderly um, person there waiting for the lecture and they said look we're really sorry um we're cancelled you you have have something to eat and go back down to london and i said to the individual have you come for the talk and he said yes and I said then we're going to deliver the lecture and we sat one-to-one -one and we delivered it and that's to bear in mind that because the reason why that's important is because we know that there will be prophets that will come with no followers on the day of judgment. Some will come with one, some will come with two, four, six. We've got to keep that in mind and not lose sight of that fact when we're putting out content and we're seeing that we're not getting many followers or whatever. Our duty, if we're really upon that, is to convey the message. And, and I've always been comfortable with that. Um, alhamdulillah, the more that it's exposed to, the more you hope it does the job um, in conveying the message in the best way, mashallah, tabarakallah. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the issue is to convey the message. And I know one of the things I'm really pleased about with the two of you is that 
it's clear to me from the work you're doing, that's what's at the heart of what you're doing. And may Allah continue to bless that in that particular instance. And those online who are seeking need to make sure that they're not seeking entertainment, edutainment. There is entertainment and we can give that, but we shouldn't be looking at some of the more serious messages that, or lessons that we need to learn and saying, I want that to be in the entertainment format as well. Yeah. Because it will not make us, it won't inculcate and develop that love, that hope, that fear, that trust in Allah that needs to be done. And if it was going to, we would have precedence from the Prophet and the Sahaba that they had that entertainment in learning. So we can learn and we can have entertainment. And sometimes they will cross if it's for our children or in a lighthearted moment, but it can't be the norm in every instance. And so alhamdulillah, what you, you are doing, what Newcastle Fast are doing, what many other avenues are, are doing, I think are really, really um, commendable. And I want to say Jazakum Lakhir to both of you for coming on this evening oh, and right. sharing this platform with us. No, it's been a real honour, mashallah, for us because, uh, uh, you know, watching what you guys have done at Newcastle FM, uh, you know, we genuinely felt, and I, and I agree with you that, um, you know, we, we, we are sort of very egotistic. We're, we're very nafs driven. So we like our luxuries. We like our entertainment. Uh, and, and, and to some extent, you know, unfortunately, perhaps the dawah has become like that as well. It's just an, an alternative for Netflix or for Prime mm. videos or, you know, watching a movie. It's entertaining. It's enjoyable. And I'm not saying necessarily that that's a bad thing, no. but the, the, the soul needs nourishing as well. And it's not just about this ego. It's not just about the enjoyment factor. Uh, it's not just about enjoying a, a lecture or a discussion given by one of you brothers, mashallah, with, with knowledge. But it's about taking something away that hopefully changes and, and reacts with our inner self, our souls. Uh, and changes us from within, inshallah. I mean, things like, for example, racism or being judgmental of your brothers and your sisters. Oh, the sister's hijab is not quite on right. Or it looks like she's plucking her eyebrows. A stuff It's got nothing to do with you. No, that's right. And, and, and the very fact that you feel these things and you judge people or you look down at a black brother or a white brother or a new Muslim as somehow lesser than you is a reflection on how sick your soul is. And that soul needs cleansing. And the only way you cleanse it is by learning about Islam, is about connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, connecting to the Quran, and actively, actively pursuing uh, what the Prophet said so many times about you know, perfecting your character. And having that fundamentally, you know, in your in your mindset that, you know, I need to be in a, in a constant journey to try to approach that goal of perfecting my character. And so if I have racism in me, if I feel negativity towards another race or another people, or I have hatred in me for uh, even the non-Muslims, for example, I need to analyze that. Where is that coming from? And the, the, the medicine for that is the Qur'an and is the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad And unless we really sort of uh, 
uh, you know, concentrate on, 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 on rectifying ourselves and improving ourselves. There's no such thing as just staying stagnant. You know, I'll just stay where I am. You're either going to go down or you're going to go up. Uh, and I think you have to make that decision, which right. direction, which direction you want to take your trajectory, right. you know, I I into. And so may Allah inshallah guide us. And, um, uh, but, but one thing I would say is that, uh, Jordan, you're quite right. I think sometimes, uh, especially the white brothers, they get a lot of attention from the born Muslims, you know. I, I think part of the reason, and I'm not saying all of the reason, because I recognize that, uh, may Allah forgive us, that there is uh, racism within even our community, may, may Allah rectify us. And, and that does, doesn't just amount to racism against our black brothers or white brothers or whatever, but if you, you'll find it even within India or within Pakistan from what different regions you come to or different languages you speak, whether you speak Punjabi or you speak Urdu, that there can be racism there. Um, but one of the things is that I suppose as a born Muslim, you generally do meet a lot of African, Afro-Caribbean brothers, mashallah, that have been Muslim either by birth or that have come into Islam a long time ago. There is this still this sort of novelty aspect of a white European uh, American or European accepting Islam and I think Jordan and I we did a stream actually and on EF Dow which was why the surprise why are you surprised that people are coming to Islam and and the reality is uh, Dr. Huck that if we truly knew and learned about Islam and internalized it in our hearts there would be no surprise for, for, us, the, for us, it would be the logical choice. If this person sees Islam, they're going to want Islam. It should absolutely. The fact that we, the fact that we are surprised, means that we perhaps haven't internalized that message and truly understood it uh, for ourselves. You know, so yes. it's, may, may, Allah, may Allah guide us, and, and as a community, may we encourage one another. Uh, to 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 you know to, uh, where where we have these issues of racism, where we have these issues of not welcoming our brothers into the deen, uh, that we sort of really have introspection and, and try to reach out and do our utmost to change things, because without talking about it, as you said, without uh, talking to our children, without talking to our families uh, and friends about these things, uh, you know things are not going to change uh, uh, very quickly. And, and they do need to change within our community, inshallah. No, Jazakallah care for that, Abbas. I appreciate that. Jordan, do you want to add anything before we conclude? Yeah, I think obviously we're, we're wrapping up. I think, look, it's absolute privilege to share a panel with, with both of you. Uh, Baker, it's our first time. You are my favourite speaker now, officially. I've been listening to you. <laughs> Mashallah, yes. And it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And I, I could listen to it for hours. And, and I'd like to echo what Abbas said about Perhaps it's not that we, you know, we can have entertainment, but I think the ratios to which we're, of, and the, you know, you can see that from the amount of views a lot of nonsense videos are getting com in compared to say, for me, I like, you know, I, I go on Bilal Phillips' channel and I'm amazed that there aren't millions of people watching his, his content. So I, I think, you know, the way these YouTube algorithms work, we need to like the good stuff. We need to watch the good stuff as well, because otherwise all you're going to get fed is the, you know, you're going to keep clicking all the rubbish. Um, right. and, and so I think, you know, subscribe to Newcastle FM uh, and, 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 and learn and and you know that should be the bulk of what you're what you spend on youtube and that's my personal uh, opinion on that um i really hope we can do this again uh if you'd have us again uh, ba um dr baker i'd love to do it next week 
and uh, you know i'd love to you know I'll, and i'll continue watching uh, all of your stuff as well so um exactly okay well yeah I, I would say absolutely i think we should we should continue to do this and please abdul hack to both of you inshallah to, <laughs> the doctor is okay i don't mind but abdul uh -huh. hack, i'm your brother mashallah but no i think that um yes i, I want to be clear there needs to be looking at what's out there at the moment there needs to be that element where we can be educated where we can be entertained and that pathway is towards um growing on the dean um we can't have that very dry prescriptive method of of teaching all of the time um or most of the time because that it, the, this the, the environment that we're living in is only going to detract that's for specific moments, that's for spe specific levels of individuals, that's for specific types of characters that prefer that. So we can't say, no, this way is the only way to learn. And if you're not learning that way, you're not serious about the Dean. No, there's got to be that element where we can feel that warmth, where we can feel of that love, where we can have that laughter. There is laughter and joy in the Dean as well. And it, it's just about what I'm saying is about keeping it um, balanced in that instance. And I think that the way we've all engaged in, you can see we're not shy to laugh and joke with each other and banter with each other. Some will frown upon that and say, a stuck for a laugh. <laughs> and, and, bring, and, and it's like, well, whoa, hold on a minute. So, so, and and, and they, they, they even transfer that, that rigidity within their families it transfers and cascades down to their children and and their wife and it and it brings in an atmosphere and a, cl a gray cloud of of somberness that doesn't always need to be there when we've got examples from the prophet of racing with aisha radiallahu and with smiling till you can see the molar teeth um there and his beautiful smile and everything and we need to have that as well we especially in these times so mm -hmm. i think the way we engage and the way we can banter with each other you see abdurrahim and me do it often and we've been doing it here that's necessary because the dean is comprehensive and i hope that tonight's show for um the audience can see that and i would say yes i think hassan's in the background there and i think that we've hit upon yet another uh, good formula abdul abu Ali wants to come on once a month as well and i think that we should bring him in as well and have this nice melting pot of, right. of sharing and knowledge and and light-heartedness and seriousness so that it shows the comprehensiveness of the dean and how all our characters confuse um together and merge as as muslims loving the deen upon the sunnah inshallah so I, I would say to yourselves if you're both happy um to do this then i will say see you next week inshallah dr baker just very quickly for our subscribers how can they apart from obviously tuning into um newcastle fm uh, what, can you give us your website for example or any other information where brothers and sisters can get hold of your your lectures, your talks, uh, and, and converse with you. Excellent. Well, what I would say is if they look, uh, go to my website, um, that's got all my podcasts and everything up there, articles, and that's abdelhackbaker.com. Um, Abdelhack, um, hack, H-A-W-Q, baker.com, one word. That's got everything up there. And also, um, if they look for, on the contact, they see my email address there. And mashallah, a number of individuals do reach out to me and on Facebook, LinkedIn. And I always respond, mashallah, tabarakallah. So anyone who wants to contact and, and converse and discuss, um, 
I, I will welcome you um, at any hour of the day once I'm up. I'm four <laughs> hours ahead of you all now, mashallah. So, um, yes, uh, so um, my website's there, abdelhaqbaker.com. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair. Alhamdulillah. Waya and jazakallah khair to you. Jazakallah khair to the audience. I've got familiar with so many names from your um, platform now, mashallah. Yes, so that's it, abdelhaqbaker.com. And um, look forward to seeing you all next week. If you're both, my brothers, if you're both happy to come on same time next week. And then what we can do in, in between the week, we can talk about a particular theme that you would like to um, speak about. And we can get into that and engage in that next yeah. week, inshallah. And I'll say salams on behalf of Abdurrahim. I know he sent a message. I can see it come up. He's funky, <laughs> eating up and dying. So hopefully that's the first time it's happened. So hopefully that won't happen next week. And, and he will be with us for the duration of the show next week, inshallah. So inshallah. is there anything you want to say to um, your your audience, um, Abbas and Jordan, before we, we end? Inshallah, just encourage our audience as well to really take an active part, subscribe and follow you guys, inshallah, not only just on Newcastle FM, but uh, personally as well, mashallah, and, and really benefit uh, from everything that you're all doing because, uh, alhamdulillah, we, we, we're benefiting as well from... Uh, interacting with you and, and, and alhamdulillah watching and listening to your to your talks and everything so yeah alhamdulillah jordan yeah and i, and I, I completely echo that like i said before i think um you know people need to watch more of the good stuff um and yeah like i said and very impressed um brother abdul haq uh that um that you remember a lot of the names of people as well in on the subscribers very impressed with that need to learn <laughs> from you with that <laughs> so, so. inshallah <laughs> it's, 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 see, they, they give they they are as important in sharing the message and engaging with the message we're discussing as we are as imparting it from yeah, where we're sitting amazing. and that's why like the sister shabnans the kiras the um queen of jordan and there's so many of them there and some are going to pop up and say what about me what about all yeah. of them, <laughs> seeing them week in week out um is for us it it it's a uh, solidarity with us. It's an iman booster with us. It's a reminder for us. So I, well, patience is one, um, mashallah, who's always up there. So all, all of them, it's really good to see them. It's like a, it's like a family, you know, yeah. and we are a family. We're an ummah. And, and, and I think that seeing each other each week and engaging, is it's become part of our lives. It's become part of a feature of our, our, our weeks. And, and I think long may it continue, inshallah. I mean, inshallah. I mean, so jazakum lakhir to everyone. Um, Princess Rashida's got a message here. Jazakallah khair, everyone on the panel and in the chat. May Allah grant us beneficial knowledge and wisdom. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. What an excellent message to end on from yeah. Princess Rashida. Yeah. And I, I echo that. And inshallah, my brothers, my sisters, we look forward to seeing you next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.